Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. Psalm 11 has been very, very special to me. And my goal tonight is for you, especially if you are someone who's feeling heavy right now in your own fight against sin, maybe even that secret shame sin you haven't told anyone about, but you're still limping with it. If you feel heavy in the suffering all around you, maybe suffering that's been from something that's been done to you or relational dynamics in your family, just this kind of overwhelming awareness that things aren't right, that you're broken, the world is broken, or maybe for you it's just you're someone who has lost your focus on the glory of God. And I don't want us to kind of let that be cliche and, and think, I don't want you to throw away the fact that in our broken hearts we are actually able to become bored with life in the kingdom. That's a travesty for us, especially for those of you who know Christ. You're someone who claims that Jesus died and rose again. He's reigning and ruling and living inside of you by his spirit. Yet at times, because of the boredom of life, we can get our gaze off. Here's what I want you to know. Every single one of those moments where you come face to face with your own brokenness or the brokenness in the world because of sin and because of suffering, you need to know that those are moments of spiritual battle. It's a battle for your worship. Are you going to, in those moments, worship God, or are you gonna worship self? And here's the thing. You will pick one of those, but you cannot pick whether or not you will worship. Because as human beings, we are designed to worship. And especially in those moments when we are overwhelmed with our brokenness, we are overwhelmed with the brokenness that we see, those are the moments, are we gonna turn to God or are we gonna turn to self? And I am hoping that Psalm 11 is a weapon that rips your eyes off of yourself and on to God, not just this week, but for the rest of our time to finish out season five of Campus Collective. So Psalms in and of themselves, a little context, are given to us for a lot of reasons But one of those reasons is to let us see the glory of God in the prayers and songs of his people. They give us words when we don't have any to pray. They stabilize our hearts, not with fake hope and not with cliche help, but with true faith that worships through the heaviness. Not in spite of it, but because the heaviness gives us a glimmer of the glory of God. And so the title of tonight's sermon, if you're a note taker and you need that, and some of you are already nervous with me, like when is he going to just say the title so you can put that first line on your notebook, all right? Maybe all three of you, I don't know. There's a few of you out there. The title of tonight's sermon is What Can the Righteous Do? What Can the Righteous Do? And I want to ask you, have you been asking yourself this question? Maybe it was just from the gauntlet of 2020 into 2021, I've been wondering what can righteous people do. But I want to pause here, just lest we're getting our terms mixed up. What I don't mean by righteous is that we are better than those people over there. 
When we talk about righteousness in the Bible, those are people on earth, they're the ones on earth who have trusted in Christ's death and resurrection to receive his righteousness by grace through faith. So I want to pause a moment because I am not going to fool myself into thinking in a room this size, there's not someone here who maybe has no idea, has no categories for the thought of I might be righteous in God's sight. So we need to take a gospel pause for a second. And if you're already saved and know the gospel, you need to lean in here too because you need to understand every time the word is preached, you should be hearing and receiving the gospel all over again. You need to hear something from us, though, Christians in the room, if you are someone who does not follow Jesus. We want you to trust Christ. We want you to know him. We want you to know the joy that we have in his salvation. And we need to confess. Hopefully, you guys can confess with me. I'm the only one who will confess this. We don't always want that like we should. It's really easy for us, and maybe some of you already, starting back, maybe you got fired up with some sort of New Year's resolution. I'm going all in with the mission of God. I'm going all in with church, going all in with ministry, all over again. I know 40-some of us, 50-some of us went to Crosscom. We all had this big God theology put in front of us, if we're gonna give our lives to that. And if you are honest already, you can confess with me that things have already gotten off track. It's so easy to see the vision of that But then when normal life, your sin, your suffering, the brokenness, the boredom that can come in our gospel ignorance, we can get off track. And the most devastating way we do that is to look at lost people around us, lost people in this room, and decide it's not worth talking to them about Jesus. And so if you're not a follower of Christ, hear me, we're sorry for that. But we also want you to know that we want you to know this news. God has created you, Because of that, he deserves your worship and your obedience. In fact, that's what you were actually created to do. You were made to be a worshiper and obeyer of God. But you've all rebelled. Not just by choice, but also by nature. Because of sin, we are in every ounce, not one ounce of goodness in us. All of our hearts are running from God instead of toward him. And God the creator is holy and loving. This is both terrifying and awe-inspiring. Terrifying because his holiness means that he must and will punish sin. It is just for sinners to experience God's wrath, and it is mercy that you're not experiencing it right now. But it's awe-inspiring because in his mercy, in his grace, in his love, he sent Jesus Christ to take that wrath He died in your place and rose again to secure your redemption. Jesus did not come to earth to give you a giant spiritual high five and say, you are doing pretty good, guys. Keep it up. He came because we are, to our course, rebelling against God. He loves us, died and rose again, that if we would repent of our sin, agreeing with God that we need him, we are sinful, and turning from that and believing that Jesus did not just die for you, but also died instead of you, for you, and in your place, he will save you. Listen, you can go from death to life right now. You can go from enemy of God to friend of God. You can go from evil orphan to beloved son or daughter, 
And we want that for you. This is a special day. If you're in any group message with me, you know why this day is special. 11 years ago today, the Lord saved me. (laughs) Today. I went from walking away, and listen, my rebellion looked like pretty good. People would have looked at me and said, I assume he's probably Christian. But what God could see past my outer show into my rebellious heart, and instead of pushing him away, he looks at me and says, no, 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 no longer enemy, friend, no longer orphan, mine. If you're a Christian, even if you don't remember the time, don't get all hung up on, oh man, I wish I could have a spiritual birthday party, which I did, by the way, my wife and I and our boys, we went to get breakfast this morning. Happy spiritual birthday to me, or as Duke would say, happy Jesus birthday. That's my two-year-old, if you don't know. I don't want you to get caught up in that. But what I do want you to get caught up in and never get over is the fact that there actually was a moment you went from death to life. Because it's in that power, in that grace, in that love, that you will actually not just hear God's word, but it will become yours. He can save you out of your worst darkness and your worst sins. He can save you out of your borrowed, fake Christianity. He can save you. Just come. And that's what we mean by the righteous in this psalm, those who have been made righteous. So, gospel pause is over. Back to the introduction. For those of us who are in Christ, have you found yourself asking the question, what can the righteous do? Have you wondered what you can even do about the immoral chaos of our world? Have you wondered what you can do about the fact that your spiritual disciplines have already tanked, This year, the Bible plan is already off the rails. You haven't even got to Leviticus yet. I've been there. You're like, man, this is the year. It's going to happen. And then you're already done. Or maybe just this kind of low-level anxiety, boredom with the kingdom has already crept in. And you are wondering, what can I even do? What can you do about the overflow of information, the pressure to perform with your whole life? Listen, you were not designed to carry the weight of your identity and your purpose. And when you do, you're choosing to live like the enemy. And that is not the life that Jesus has purchased for you. And the psalm speaks into that dark place for all of us. So, let's do it. It's only seven verses, so I can do a 20-minute introduction. All right, that's fine. It's 2022. I can do what I want. All right, Psalm 11. One through three, the problem is introduced. So listen up. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, here's our title, what can the righteous do? So we see right off the bat, this problem presented to us is not only a personal attack of fear, It is a foundational threat. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Some theologians would say that right here in this moment, David, the writer of this psalm, is facing a temptation to not trust God. And before we even explore more of that, we need to just stop in this first clause of the psalm. In the Lord I take refuge. Listen, David is making a statement here. He takes refuge in God. And listen, you should too. If you trust it in Christ, you have refuge in him. But so many of us live as if we do not have any sort of refuge. 
from the sin out there, the sin in us, and the suffering we experience in this broken world. We don't live like we're actually protected by Jesus. Refuge, safety, shelter from pursuit or danger or trouble. Listen, Christ is our safety from sin in our lives. Because of his death and resurrection, the penalty of our sin is gone. The power of sin has been broken. Some of you might just need to leave here with this tonight. Listen, you can say no to sin now if you're a Christian. Before you couldn't. You just picked creative ways to keep sinning. It's like putting flowers or decorating a coffin. Still dead, it just looks prettier. But if you're a Christian, because of the Holy Spirit inside of you, listen, you can actually say no to the sins that are, jo- that are robbing your joy in Christ. And yes, it's true that the presence of sin is still here in us, but one day it will be gone forever. When our refuge is not only by faith, but it is by sight. There will be a day when you no longer struggle with sin if you're a Christian. It will actually all be over one day. He's not only a refuge for your sin, he's also our safety, our refuge from the suffering in our lives. Now, hearing that statement may strike you as odd at a time like, like this, or maybe even in your own life when I say that in Christ you have safety from suffering. How can I say that when there's real suffering in the world, there's real suffering even in this room? But you need to hear something a gospel truth, the refuge that Christ offers us in our suffering is not the avoidance of suffering altogether. It would be wrong for God to help us avoid suffering considering how much good that God brings through our suffering in this world. Um, Paul hits this, um, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4. I want you to see this verse. Jump to the New Testament for a second. This is the last book that he wrote before basically facing his impending death. This is the very end of his life. He hits on this idea of safety. In Christ. So he's writing this to Timothy and he says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a fascinating thing to write from someone who historians would tell us eventually gets beheaded for his faith. What about that one, Paul? Y'all, y'all go there? Like, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. I would consider a beheading to be an evil deed. It will be a, a bad thing to do to someone. Agreed? Are we awake? Okay, we all agree that beheading someone is evil. Okay. So we need to not do the Ruth series. We need to do, like, just, I guess, a whole series on why beheading is wrong. Uh, but, listen, he writes this and he meant it. It's still God-inspired. And that's still true even though his head fell off his body for his faith. What's he talking about? Our refuge in Christ will protect our faith in the midst of our suffering. The suffering will touch your body, it will touch your mind, but it will not touch your salvation. Any threat to you finishing your race in Christ will be defeated because of Christ, your refuge. That is good news. Yeah, it might get your body, it might get your mind, but nothing touches your salvation because Christ is your refuge. So we need to stop and be honest with each other. A heart check. Some of us claim Christ, but whenever 
any bit of trial comes our way, our entire spiritual life is tanked. Even just boredom over break can make us lose our passion and zeal for Christ. You need to ask yourself, what are you actually taking refuge in? Were you taking refuge in this group? Were you taking refuge in comfort? Were you taking refuge in routines? What are you filling your mornings with? What are you filling your thoughts with? What about your days? How you spend your time and money will reveal your God and your refuge. You need to ask yourself, what are you keeping your refuge in? When the stress or anxiety kicks in, where are you putting your mental energy and your emotional focus? What are you really finding refuge in? Listen, the point of this is not to guilt trip you, but it's a call for us to wake up. This type of life that if you're in Christ, I know you want all in for the kingdom, sharing the gospel with people, loving your neighbors, God exalting in your life. I know you want this, but it will not happen by accident. You will not slide into holiness and peace. One theologian says that we do not drift toward holiness. It requires grace-driven effort. To experience the joy purchased for you by Jesus, you must fight against what is distracting you and what is robbing your joy. And I am begging you, you know, even just tonight being a reminder of this, stay in the fight. I know it can be hard. I know there's already temptation now for this to be the last night you even put any effort toward the people of God. But you have refuge. The kingdom is here. It is moving. It's amazing that we're even here right now. God has been saving people in this group. He's been calling missionaries out of this group. He's established a presence on campus where people know where they can come and hear the gospel. And I think he has many more good works for us to walk in. And I've noticed over my 11 years of following the Lord, that God seems to love to make it seem like there's no way he can win and then show off his glory. (laughs) He loves doing that. When everything seems to be turning against the church, that's when she shines the brightest. And if we would actually believe that, how would our souls ever be threatened? How do you touch a group of people or a person in Christ who has a God like that? And that is why, so important, not only in your own life, but in a ministry especially, that we do not become obsessed with momentum. The kingdom is slow, faithful work. And this is why we are not ashamed to continue to pound the idea of join a church, join a church, join a church. It's not because we just want to see all you all be at this church. We'd love that. I'd love to see you here. But you need to understand that after... The fun of campus ministry is gone. You are going to be a church member somewhere if you're a faithful Christian. You need to know that. We want to train you to not be the type of person who seeks spiritual hype for your joy in Christ, but instead finds it deep in the refuge that is here for you. None of those things are solid refuge other than Christ alone. So, with all that being said, that is in the Lord I take refuge. The rest gets faster, I promise. Back to our psalm. He says, And the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? Interesting insult. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. I want you to notice the defiance of the question in the beginning of this. Because it is true that the Lord is his refuge, he says, how can you even say this to me? Do you have that sort of defiant faith in the face of your trials and your battle for joy? 
The Lord is your refuge. Your faith is safe with him. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Admittedly, scholars are pretty unsure about the exact historical context of the psalm, why David is being told to make himself like a bird and go to a mountain, or why there's a bow and arrow, an archer, apparently, looking at him. It's hard to pinpoint this threat exactly, but what is obvious is that there is an insult that represents a specific attack on him as an individual. There's a taunt here. Run away like a bird, David. And in this instance, there's a wicked people who have the bow ready to shoot him in his heart. But I want you to see something. In verse one, David says, how can you say to my soul? This was deep. This taunt was directed at his soul. The dark voices were saying that David should abandon the refuge that he has in God and run to the mountain away from danger. And this is where it can get personal for us even today. Ephesians 6.12 would tell us, I'm not going to read all of it, but it's on the screen, that our enemies are spiritual enemies. Now, you may or may not have an archer aiming at you. We have a security team here tonight, so we'll take care of any real archer threats. It might not be you, but you need to understand that you have a spiritual enemy. And I talked about this. Your battle is for worship. Spiritual warfare, I get made fun of for this quote, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's helpful. It's not when your head spins around over and over again and you crawl up a wall backwards and then poof into a bunch of bats or something. I think that happens so much. We think spiritual warfare just means some dark being in your closet. Now, it might be that. I would assume spiritual attack that happened. But you need to understand that most of our battle for, um, in our spiritual warfare is a battle for your worship. These trials are here to see where's your, who's your God? Where's your refuge? Are you fleeing to Christ? Or are you fleeing to a mountain? Are you putting up your shield of faith? Or are the arrows just hitting you and leading you straight into despair? Take a drink. And then many says, it's not just an individual thing here, okay? It's not just arrows aimed. He says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So it gets even bigger here. Do you see this? It's not just an individual insult, it's foundations, referring to the justice and righteousness of a culture, specifically the moral foundations. It's a spiritual warfare situation that David finds himself in is not only a temptation to be afraid, but also the very foundations of the culture he lives in are shaky. Is this not our experience in our broken world? Listen, we have sin in us, there is sin out there, the foundations are shaky in our culture. We call evil things good. We call good things evil. The question is, what can the righteous do? Listen, the kingdom of God will advance despite the evil plots of men and Satan's schemes. We see sin everywhere. Hopefully you see sin in yourself. But that's the tension of this song. What can the righteous do? What can we do? How do we continue to worship Jesus? How do we continue to live on mission? What can the righteous do in a situation where the foundations are cracking? And whether you are a person who feels hopeless or hopeful, you know that sin is real and it is dark and it is everywhere. Not just sin, but suffering. And yet at the same time, people like me get up here and tell you that we still need to go. 
There's still people to be loved. There's people that need to know this news. The mission of the church hasn't changed just because of the darkness of the culture. So what do we do? I love this. This is going to frustrate you if you're paying attention. So the big question, what can we do? That would be helpful, right? Like, okay, here's three steps of what we're going to do here or how do we engage the culture. Instead of answering that question directly, I love the Bible. This is the answer. You ready? What can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. <laughs> well, you love that? That's not an action, right? What, what can we do about this? The Lord is in his holy temple. God loves doing this in his word, answering questions with true things about him. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The point here is this is an anchor truth for your soul in times of trial. God is on his throne. He's sovereign over every little thing. Your suffering, the struggle you won't talk about, didn't slip past his sovereign plan. Even all of us being here tonight is not an accident. Your suffering is being used to make you more like Jesus, less fearful, and more trusting in God. And you will never get there unless you live out the truth that God is on his throne. Notice where the psalm goes next. It's not just that the Lord is on his throne, but we see that he sees everything. He's testing the children of man. No matter what you're going through, listen, God sees. If you're in Christ, God is your father, and your father sees you, even in the mess. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Just one point here from this I want you to see that it says that the Lord tests the righteous. Now you should be asking yourself, who is this test for? Do you think God doesn't know if our faith is real and he needs to test us to see? Of course not. He's sovereign. He knows our hearts. Listen, the Bible's witness of this is that trials are tests for you. They're for you to see the genuineness of your faith. Now before you get nervous about this, I want you to remember that Jesus passed the test in your place. The gospel is still true here, but trials are given to us by our Heavenly Father so that we can see when we get on the other side of them and even in the midst of them that our faith is real. So you got to ask yourself, maybe the trial you're already in or the one that is coming, as you walk through whatever it is with Jesus, are you getting closer to him? Are you developing true love for him? These tests are meant to show you that your faith is real. And how else would we know if we live by faith if we always got what we wanted? Keep going. The psalm takes a darker turn. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So just because the Lord, sovereign, does not mean he's morally responsible for evil. In fact, his justice and goodness demand that he responds to evil in this way. Look at verse 6. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Just as sure as we can know there's testing for the righteous, you need to know there is wrath and justice for those who defy God. Now, it is easy to let these verses of wrath puff us up instead of humble us. It's easy to posture against the wicked because, you know, verse 6, God's soul clearly hates them. 
At the same time, this is a true doctrine that we cannot afford to lose as the people of God. God has active wrath stored up for sinners who do not repent. And this should be doing something in your heart if you're a gospel person. You should be confident in the victory that one day all evil will be destroyed. You should have joyful relief that that wrath is not on you. You should have desperate compassion for people who reject Jesus and brokenhearted urgency, knowing there are people who deserve God's wrath on our campus that you saw in class today that don't know him, and this is for them. But our message as the new covenant, people of God, is not is one of wrath coming, but is primarily one of wrath absorbed. The same God who was David's refuge and inspired these stunning words against the wicked is the same God who came as Jesus to die for our sins. Jesus Christ himself took the portion of the cup of God's wrath. So when you see these kind of difficult wrath verses, know it's meant to drive you to the cross. It's wrath that Jesus took for people who repent and put their faith in him. Then verse seven, conclude this psalm. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face. Why does the Lord do all of these things? Because he is righteous, and he loves those who do righteousness in his name. So, to put this back for us tonight before we worship, what can the righteous do? These things are true, and we're still living in hard times. What can the righteous do? do. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. And by the way, if you've never heard of Charles Spurgeon, his sermons are like gospel candy, okay? They are beautiful, and I love this quote. I want to leave this kind of for us. Um, and band, you can make your way up. Um, I want to give this to you before we sing and worship tonight. When considering the question of what can the righteous do in light of all the things we know to be true about Jesus, he says this, we can suffer joyfully, hope cheerfully, wait patiently, pray earnestly, believe confidently, and triumph finally. Don't you love that? Whenever we are in the midst of our own brokenness, we keep sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting, and there's suffering and the trials that we've already gone through, the ones that are coming, what can the righteous do? You need to know, and I'm begging you tonight, don't run to your mountain. Be in the refuge that has been purchased for you by Jesus, let's stand and sing.